This is a Federal News Network podcast. Many employees, federal and otherwise, want to return to their offices to work, not because the offices are so great, but because they want to renew the human connections that have weakened over the past year or so. Smart managers understand how connections can spark several important benefits to employees and to the organization. Here with more, American University professor Bob Tobias. And Bob, of course, now people are trickling back. And the power of connections, that's something you've been thinking about and reading about. I have, Tom. And as a result of the 100% telework, many leaders recognize the need to act proactively to create connections with those they lead rather than waiting in their office and waiting for people to come to them. They thought they had to move out and they did. And the result was increased employee engagement as reflected in the federal employee viewpoint scores and some recent research by Deloitte that showed that the connections of federal employees with the public got increased satisfaction. So as employees return to work, will leaders continue to be proactive to create connections or will they go back to sitting in their office and proclaiming, I have an open door policy? And then close the door. And then close the door, right. So if we feel connected to our colleagues and connected to our leaders and connected to the agency mission, Michael Lee Stollard in a recent book titled Connection Culture concluded that the seven universal needs at work are met. Respect, recognition, belonging, autonomy, personal growth, meaning, and progress. Now, these concepts are not abstract. They seem to be, but they're not. If you think back over your career and you remember a time when you were willing to give your discretionary energy to your boss. And what I mean by discretionary energy is that energy you choose to give, you use your full set of skills and your full attention that you don't usually give to accomplish organization's goals and objectives. So you know every element that Stollard just mentioned. And the question is, and the challenge for leaders is whether they will continue to do what they did in COVID to create the connections they lead to provide a workplace where employees want to come back to work as opposed to staying at home. Yes. So in other words, the mere physical presence of people under the same roof is not the same as connections. And you have to work at it, perhaps more so when people come back, or at least work at it in a different way than you did when they were all remote. Correct. And am I going to build on what I created over the last year, or am I going to just, my brain go blank, and I'm going to revert back to what I did in the past because it's comfortable. Yeah, those uh, seven universal work needs that you named, the words are perhaps conceptual, but the effects of them are real. For example, recognition. There is probably no more debilitating sense that an employee can have than that his or her work is just unrecognized or unappreciated. If I don't get validation that my work is good, I stop doing it. One of the primary reasons for giving employees feedback is to say, hey, man, Tom, you did a great job. And if I tell you that, Tom, my chances of you replicating that behavior is fantastic. If I ignore it, maybe you will, maybe you won't. So it's that connection with you first to notice and then to speak that makes the difference. My guest is Bob Tobias, professor in the Key Executive Leadership Program at American University. And, of course, you have a long history in the federal labor union movement, so to speak. And that's a third element 
that will be kind of in presence again when people get back to the offices. So how can the unions play a role? Uh, How can union leadership play a role? Or how can union local leaders in a given bargaining unit be part of this equation of rebuilding the connections that need to happen when people are back under one roof? I think unions can play a quite significant role if indeed they return to collaborative problem solving. And by that I mean issues that are driving employees crazy, issues that are driving uh, managers crazy. If they can meet and work collaboratively to solve those problems, they'll meet both the recognition, the belonging, meaning, and progress needs that employees have. If they're excluded from the process, which often happens in a hierarchical structure, those needs are not met. And another issue, I think, coming up for this whole idea of the skills and the recognition and the ability to get the, as you call it, discretionary energy out of people, that is the government onboarded thousands and thousands of people in the past 14, 15 months, all not in person, all virtually. And now it's possible that managers will see these people for the first time. And that seems to pose a special challenge. They've been working there for a year or longer but nobody's ever laid eyes on them in person. Well, nobody's ever laid eyes on them. And I think, at least based on not a broad sample, agencies didn't do a very good job of onboarding. And acculturating new employees to the total agency goal, mission, and so forth, because it was so important to get them on board and get them to work. And so I think that agencies uh, treat these people who were hired in the last 14 months as brand new employees. This is an opportunity to start over. It's something that you don't normally get, an opportunity to start again. And I think that's how agencies ought to treat these people who've been hired over the last 14 months. Yeah, the joke used to be that someone was so new they didn't know where the restrooms were. In this case, (laughs) you could get to work and you've been there a year and you still don't know where the restrooms are. Yes, unfortunately, the truth, Tom. But on the other hand, if it's possible to onboard people remotely or virtually, that could be a useful tool to have even though we're beyond the pandemic. So how can that be done more effectively if the need arises? Say you hire someone in Des Moines and the agency bureau is in Grand Rapids. Well, I think that the whole onboarding process is going to change as a result of the past experience. There are some things that can be given to you orally on a Zoom call, background information, but you really do need that connection with your supervisor that occurred in the COVID environment and now has to recur in the back-to-work environment. Well, there's also the connection and the acquaintance with your colleagues, too, the fellow co-workers. Yes, it's true. I remember working with a group that was all over the country for about six months, and this was pre-COVID, and when they got together, it was like, oh, my God, that's what you really look like? <laughs> I mean, and you've got four kids, and all the kinds of things, the offline chatter that doesn't occur very often. And there was some of that that was stimulated in the uh, Zoom COVID environment, but being in person can't be replaced. No, that's right. I've had thousands, I don't know how many Zoom calls, Zoom interviews in the past 15 months, and I've seen spouses, I've seen children, I've seen dogs and cats wander in and out of the scene, but it's still not quite like being in person with someone, is it? It is not. And especially when you're 
um, this didn't happen in the workplace, but when you're dealing with masked people, I mean, just seeing someone's eyes is not the same as seeing their total face. So those people who were even working and coming back to work were masked. And so that's going to be removed. And not a moment too soon. Bob Tobias is professor in the key executive leadership program at American University. As always, thanks so much. Thank you, Tom. It's a pleasure being with you as always. We'll post this interview at federalnewsnetwork.com slash Federal Drive. Subscribe to the Federal Drive at Apple Podcasts or wherever you get your shows. Welcome to the Lessons in Leadership podcast. I'm your host, Shane Canfield, CEO of WEPA. I'm thrilled today to be joined by Rick Wade, Senior Vice President of Strategic Alliances and Outreach at the U.S. Chamber of Commerce. Previously, Rick was a Senior Advisor and Deputy Chief of Staff to Secretary of Commerce Gary Locke, He worked closely with the Obama administration, and he also worked with Commerce's Economic Development Administration to foster regional economic development in distressed areas and with the Minority Business Development Agency to create jobs through the growth of minority-owned businesses. He received a BS from the University of South Carolina and an MPA from Harvard University. Rick, welcome, and thanks so much for joining me. And thank you so much for having me. Look forward to the conversation. Rick, in today's environment, leaders have had to adapt and find new ways to lead with transparency and empathy. But can you tell us a bit about how you've adapted your leadership style? You know, this past year has clearly uh, presented some unique challenges that uh, certainly me uh, or I as a leader uh, have had to adapt. Uh, You think about a pandemic, for example, that has placed us in probably one of the most challenging circumstances is to lead in a virtual world now. I've not been in my office uh, for nearly a year. And and the idea that we don't have the human interaction, uh, which I think is very important when you think about the empathy that is a a very important value of leadership. So trying to lead from a virtual uh, environment chain and be empathetic and be sensitive to the needs of others has presented terribly difficult challenge. One of the other defining uh, moments, I think, in our time uh, that has dictated uh, a change in leadership, if you will, uh, was the murder of George Floyd. I think it created a whole different consciousness uh, in America and certainly within me uh, about the importance of being empathetic uh, in, uh, in, in the way I lead, to be inclusive, uh, to, be, uh, uh, to, to lead in a way uh, in which you're very sensitive to the impact of your decisions. Uh, on those on others uh, across our community. So it certainly has been a challenging year uh, to adapt, uh, but I'm happy to say that uh, I'm still here and we're moving forward. Perfect. Throughout your career, what have been some pivotal moments or lessons learned that have shaped the leader that you are today? You know, there have been so many moments, Shane. I, you know, I grew up in rural South Carolina uh, quite honestly, at a time when I, I mean, I saw what legal segregation was. I mean, I, I wasn't able to go to an integrated school until middle school, being bused across town. And I remember, as strangely as it may sound, uh, in 1979, I wanted to run for vice president of my student body at Lancaster High School, a liberal school. And I had to run on the ballot as vice president black, literally. And there was another candidate who ran as vice president white. And the irony of that story uh, is that the following year, I ran for president and I won overwhelmingly. That was a lesson for me in leadership. 
And and the lesson there was, you know, perseverance, uh, have the tenacity, uh, have a vision, and overcoming barriers. And and I didn't let the idea uh, that the construct that I had to run as vice president uh, 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 deter me from reaching my bigger dream, which was to represent students. So I know that's a, that that perhaps may be a small example of leadership, but it really did define how I view myself, uh, the vision that I have, uh, my willingness to to fight for change. And that was that was the beginning. I think that set the foundation of how I lead. And there have been so many other moments. Uh, one of the most defining moments for me personally was uh, the, 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 the massacre at Mother Emanuel Church in Charleston, South Carolina, a very close friend of mine, Senator Reverend Clemente Pinckney, who lost his life. And, and it, it conjured up, again, these issues of how deep the divide in terms of race in America is. And, but it also inspired me to lead even more and to lead harder and to lead with diligence and vigilance uh, to help close that divide. So there have been so many defining moments uh, uh, in my career. I, I will tell you, even uh, after the murder of George Floyd and my role at the U.S. Cha- Chamber of Commerce uh, to galvanize the business community, uh, inspired by that tragedy. And now we have a whole broad, historic sweeping, what we call equality of opportunity initiative that I'm leading, that I, that, that, that I was inspired to develop. And we're bringing together corporations from across America to address what we call equality of opportunity. So my point there, I think with all of these moments, they've all been pivotal moments at different parts of my life, my career, my journey. And I've seized those moments to make the best uh, of of them, of of what I could. That's fantastic. It's a great, great answer. Many stories. Thank you very much for sharing that. Um, Who is the most impactful leader in your life and what quality did you admire about them? You know, I, again, I can't say that I had, I had just one, but I would tell you the one person who, uh, who had, whose historical leadership has inspired me the most, and that is the leadership of Dr. Martin Luther King Jr. And there's so many attributes there that are consistent with my values, but the one, the one part of his leadership was vision. And I, I mean, the idea that you can have a dream which we often define and think of his big I have a dream speech. But I think that's a really important attribute of leadership, Shane, that you can sort of see beyond the challenges of today and see a better future for people and for yourself. So the, the idea that leaders have vision uh, despite the challenges is seeing a forest despite the trees. It's seeing an opportunity despite the barriers. And that, that attribute, I think, is one that, that I embody. I mean, I, I, I'm very optimistic, uh, despite the challenges, despite the circumstances. So the whole notion of vision uh, was a very important attribute that I, I learned and that I've tried to emulate from the leadership of Dr. King. Wow, fantastic. And as someone who's got an extensive background of federal service uh, and out of federal service, what advice would you give to feds looking to develop leadership skills. And, and you can talk about mid-career, senior career, early career. Um, what comes to mind there? Yeah, listen, I mean, you're aware that I had the, the, the fortunate opportunity. We didn't have a secretary of commerce when uh, President Obama, uh, of course, I served as one of his senior advisors, was inaugurated. And the president asked me to go to the Department of Commerce to hold the fort down. And that was one of the most exciting experiences in my entire career. 
not just for the title and the, and, the, and the wonderful experiences, but I understood the value of federal employees. And, and folks forget sometimes, Shane, that we political appointees, we come and go. But the folks who, who are grinding every day, who are at their desk, no matter rain, sleet or snow, uh, who bring innovations, but yet don't, don't get the credit for it because the political appointees get all the credit. I think I learned something about the humility of, of being a leader. Uh, and 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 I, I I built so many friends who were federal employees, not just at the manager level, but the frontline workers, the administrative assistants. And I was very deliberate. I mean, one of the things that I was most proud of, strangely enough, I was that guy, even though I was senior advisor to the Secretary of Commerce, and I, I my office was on the floor, the top floor. We call it the blue carpet, Shane. But I made a deliberate point to go eat in the cafeteria every day, as many days as I could just to sit down and talk with employees. And I grew from that. And, and, and there were so many times where I took their ideas back to the blue carpet and said, and I told the secretary Locke, you got to go down and sit down and talk with regular common everyday folks. They're in the cafeteria, not in the dining room on the blue carpet. And so he started doing that. So the, the point is, I think for me, the advice that I would give is to continue to do the hard work. I do think that we should do a better job in government in providing the kind of admiration for those workers as we do the high level appointees. And, and that may be something that, uh, that I'm looking to work on myself uh, to help continue to advocate for our federal employees. Uh, they, they, those are hard workers. That's where the work gets done. And, uh, and, 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 and so I think that's a lesson for me. If there was some advice and counsel I could give is to continue to do your work, but, but we have to do our work as leaders of these agencies to create ladders uh, of success and, and, and reward and admiration for the hard work that they do. Rick, thank you very much. You've inspired me. These are tremendous insights and stories. Uh, I love every single one of them. You've got a fascinating journey in leadership yourself. And thank you very much for sharing that with us today. Well, thank you for the opportunity. Thank you. I'm Shane Canfield, CEO of WEPA. Thank you for listening to today's Lessons in Leadership podcast. And until we see you next time, take good care. This episode is brought to you by Zelle. Whenever you're sending money through an app or online, it's important to do it safely. Here are a few helpful tips. First, always make sure you know and trust the person you are sending money to. Second, confirm you have entered their contact details correctly. And finally, if you don't trust the person or your recipient is rushing you to send money right away, think twice before sending money through an app or online. Grab a 30-day free trial of Live by Live Plus and you'll get unlimited skips, commercial-free music, and all of the podcasts and live streaming events you can handle. Visit livexlive.com slash podcast one to learn more and start your free trial.